For many years the idea of fairies and the little people brought a laugh and a disbelieving shake of the head for me. In later years I was to learn better and it is to be hoped that those doubters who shall read these stories will experience the same change in their thinking. It is only to be expected that not every reader of these stories will believe in leprechauns, banshees and other Irish spirits. But I am here to tell you that all these things do exist in the Irish countryside. You may consider that disbelief in such things will ensure that such spirits have less power over you. Do not be fooled by such comforting thoughts. Constantly remind yourself that you should never ignore the possibility that such spirits can and do exist. Do not give voice to your disbelief and never mock the fact that others do believe. All those things are insults to the good people and the most foolish actions that any man, woman or child can commit. Testing the fairy folk of Ireland can and will bring a response in ways that are totally unexpected. When I was a child my parents raised me to always be polite and civil to everyone that I met, irrespective of race, color, creed and physical appearance. My mother, may she rest in peace, always taught me that, good manners are a burden to no person. She was often shocked by the way people treated each other and would warn me to always be civil because, civility costs you nothing. Such moral codes were bred into my being by both my parents. If you cannot speak well of another person then it is best to say nothing about them, my father would tell me. He would also insist that, if you cannot do something nice for another person, then do nothing. My parents were very firm believers that every action a person undertakes has certain consequences for which they must accept total responsibility. Do unto others as we would have them do unto us, was a scriptural adage of which I was constantly reminded. Those who decide to ignore such words of wisdom soon discover that they would have been better to take on board the advice of those older than they are. As an example, I recall the story of Eddie Daly, a muscular young man who was full of bravado. His muscular frame was maintained by his hard work in the fields around Nocknishi. As a worker, Eddie was well thought of by local farmers while, as an attractive young man, he was admired by many of the ladies in the area. Eddie Daly, tall but muscular, was a common sight on the many roads that crisscrossed the area around Nocknishi. He would walk from farm to farm undertaking whatever work he could find, and he appeared to be almost always in demand. Perhaps much of his demand was due to Eddie's pleasant personality, and his ability to make people laugh. There was always a bounce in the young man's step, a lightness in his tread, and as he walked along it was as if his heels were spring-loaded. Hence, Eddie's friends called him Spring Heels. It was not uncommon for Eddie to be seen at any hour of the day and night walking the highways and byways that surrounded the hill of Nocknishi. He seemed to have no fear of the darkness and the spirits that made the night their own. Because he did not believe in such things Eddie was comfortable walking through graveyards at night or settling to snooze below the branches of a fairy thorn tree. He laughed at those who gave credibility to superstitions and old wives' tales that were common throughout the district. He would scoff those who would attempt to protect themselves from evil spirits with the sign of the cross, or who would greet the fairies with a pleasant, may goodness and peace be with you. It is well known that almost every county and townland contains lonely places that have become noted for the fairy activity that goes on there. However, Nocknishi was famous throughout the entire country because of the strange things that had been seen or heard in that place. On every crag and in every depression, there seemed to be a leprechaun mound, fairy trees and fairy caverns. In other places throughout the district stood dark green woodland and long abandoned grave sites. People told of instances when they had heard the banshee wails from those places, seen strange lights reflecting in the darkness, and observed dark creatures stalking the souls of the unwary. Eddie, however, did not believe in such things and wandered, carefree, wherever he wished. Late one evening, as he walked home from Farmer McCann's property, Eddie noticed that there was someone else on the road. Occasionally Eddie would meet people he knew walking along the Kilku Road, and he would chat with them to pass the time. On this occasion, however, 
Eddie could not recognize who his fellow traveler was, but he was sure that he was not a local resident. The man a short distance ahead of him was only an inch or two shorter than Eddie, but much better dressed. From the professional hiking gear on his back Eddie could discern that the person was just another sightseeing hiker dressed in a high-class range of outdoor clothing to protect him from the elements. It would not take Eddie too long to catch up with him. The night was passing on, getting darker as the black, rain-laden clouds gathering in the sky, threatening to soak the land with a downpour. As expected, it didn't take Eddie much time before he caught up with the stranger and began to walk at his side. Good evening, sir, Eddie greeted him in his most friendly voice. I am Eddie Daly and maybe I can walk a while with you along the road. Good evening to you, replied the stranger, my name is Joe Crawford from Dublin and I am pleased to make your acquaintance. You'll stay in the village tonight, Joe? inquired Eddie. It could be a bad night for there a powerful lot of rain on the way. The stranger looked skyward as he continued to walk in, turning to Eddie, told him, sure don't I have my own accommodation with me. And where would you be planning to put up your tent, if I might ask? On top of Knocknashie Hill, came the reply, which took Eddie completely by surprise. Knocknashie? That's right. The summit of Knocknashie Hill, so we will not have much farther to travel together. The stranger had now aroused Eddie's inquisitiveness. So, you will take the track that runs from this road up to the top of the hill? Eddie asked, and then continued, but why would a man of your standing wish to go to that lonely, exposed and windswept place? You have been there? I haven't and there is nothing there, answered Eddie. Even with your tent you will get little protection from the weather this night, especially up there. Mr. Crawford smiled at the concern his new companion was showing for his welfare. The tent will suffice, and I intend to be settled upon the top of that hill by midnight. But what in the name of all that is good, is bringing you to the top of that bleak hill? What are you looking for? Eddie asked. The good people, said Joe, irritated by the questions. I am going to the top of the hill to see the good people. Fairies! exclaimed Eddie in total disbelief and he sniggered at the very idea. That sort of attitude did not endear him to Joe, and he marched on in silence for a moment. Fairies! Eddie sniggered again. This time Joe stopped and looked at his companion with growing anger displayed in his face. For goodness sake, keep your voice low. He told Eddie. Better still keep it shut. Do you know nothing? Eddie was taken aback by the angry tone exhibited by his companion, but Joe was not finished. You never call the good people fairies because it is a disrespectful term to them. Furthermore, to laugh at them is an unwise thing to do, because they look upon that as a grave insult. Just keep your ideas and your careless words to yourself, or you might just end up being very sorry. Eddie was somewhat dumbfounded by Joe's dramatic change in attitude toward him. But he decided he would not react at this time. It all seemed a bit pointless anyway because they were approaching the track that led up to the summit of Naknishi. Only a minute or two later they came upon the entrance to the narrow dirt path, which swept across several fields before going up the steep side of the hill to its summit. At the entrance Joe stopped and immediately offered his hand in friendship to Eddie. Thank you for your company, the man said. Even though it was only for a brief period of time. Eddie took his hand, shook it warmly and simply replied, Thank you, Joe. With their farewell said, Eddie watched as Joe climbed over a wooden stile that assisted his crossing of a barbed wire fence. On the other side he stepped onto the dirt track and began to follow it as it wound its way to the base of Knocknashi Hill. He was just about to restart his own journey home to Kilmore, about three miles distant, when a sudden thought crossed his mind and caused him to pause again. That man is a bit of an odd fellow, but he is definitely no fool, he said to himself. He continued to ponder for a while as he watched Joe walk further away along the path. I don't believe he's here for the fairies, he said aloud to himself. 
That man is up to something on that hill and he doesn't want anyone else to see him. Maybe I should just follow him at a distance and find out for myself just what he is up to. He stood for a few moments longer, watching the stranger move along the track and come closer to the base of the hill. Fairies, he exclaimed loudly with a certain distaste in his voice. Mark my words, there is something more than fairies, or the good people as he calls them, that is bringing him up that hill on a night like this. He could not take his eyes off the man in the distance, even though what light there was left now began to fade quickly. He muttered several curses to himself, that man knows as much about fairies as I do about deep sea diving. Shaking his head in disbelief at the stranger's declared intentions he told himself, fairies don't exist and he expects a grown man like me to believe that he is going to seek them out. He tells me I should be wary about what I say concerning fairy folk, but if they don't exist why should I be afraid? Eddie looked down the path again, now illuminated by a shimmering full moon that had arisen from behind the hills. In that silver moonlight he could see Joe Crawford still pacing his way toward the base of the hill. Why would he try to frighten me off? Eddie asked himself. There must be something special up there that he doesn't want another person to see. He now strained his eyes in the lessening light to attempt to gauge just how far ahead of him Joe was. Eddie decided that it wasn't too far and made up his mind to follow the stranger and attempt to catch him up. He was determined that he would find out the truth of the man's decision to climb Knocknashie Hill. The more he had thought about it, Eddie became increasingly convinced that whatever the man was seeking it was most likely to be very valuable. His mind now became filled with ideas of gold, buried treasure, or jewels and he wanted to have a share in the fortune. In that instant he began to clamber over the wooden stile and begin his own journey to the summit. All right, big man, he said aloud, the game has begun. He pulled up his trousers and closed over his jacket before setting off along the dirt path in his effort to catch the stranger. Eddie had traveled along the track many times and despite it being illuminated only by moonlight he sure-footedly pressed ahead. After a short time, he had reached the foot of the hill, just where the track turned and began to ascend windingly to the summit. At this point stood an old, gnarled but sturdy thorn tree that local superstition had declared was a fairy tree. Eddie, of course, was not a believer in such superstitions, nonetheless something in his subconscious told him to give this tree a wide berth. He did give the tree a wide berth and began to ascend the hill in the increasing darkness that was beginning to make the narrow path even more treacherous than was normal. With every step he took Eddie moved upward and occasionally, as the full moon peeped out from behind a dark cloud, he caught a glimpse of Joe approaching the summit of the hill. Onward Eddie pressed, realizing that he would never catch his former companion before he reached the top of the hill. Three full hours of toiling up that rugged path finally brought Eddie almost to the end of his journey. The path had taken him over broken ground, loose rocks and even areas of swampy ground. On several occasions during his journey he had almost lost his footing and fallen to the ground. It was with some relief that Eddie finally reached the end of the path and could sit down to rest his weary body. He found a dry, level, grassy spot on which he could comfortably relax and take in his surroundings. But, no matter how hard his eyes scanned the area around him, he saw no sign of his former companion. Eddie couldn't understand what had happened to Joe, but he was determined to seek him out. After a short rest he began to move carefully across the ground seeking the whereabouts of Joe. As he searched the area Eddie came across a large opening in the ground that sat close to a large, wind-formed thorn tree. It was the entrance to a deep shaft, the bottom of which he could not see. The hole itself was wide and deep enough to swallow up any person who might carelessly fall into it. This, he decided, may have been the fate that befell Joe Crawford and that was the reason why Eddie could not see any sign of him. It came into Eddie's mind that this dark shaft was none other than the black hole of Nocknishi that he had heard so much about since he was a child. Although Eddie had scaled Nocknishi Hill on many occasions he had never come across this place. 
old tales suggested that the black hole was indeed the entrance to an underworld kingdom where the fairies ruled from a magnificent, magical castle. He recalled the tales of people who were said to have gone to the top of Nakhnashi and never returned. It was said that the fairies had lured them to the black hole, which simply swallowed them up. There was a famous legend that a local policeman who had set out to search for a person who was missing on the hill also never returned. He was supposed to have been a skilled climber and was well equipped for his rescue mission. Rumor suggested that even he had fallen for the wiles of the fairy folk and disappeared, never to be seen again. These were stories that Eddie shrugged off as being nothing but old wives' tales. Nevertheless, Eddie did realize that any person could have fallen down this hole and maybe he should check it out in case this is what happened to Joe. Lying on the ground he tried to peer into the dark depths of the shaft, but he could see nothing. Maybe, if I throw in a stone, I might hit the gate of the magical castle, he laughed. At least I might get to find out if there is anyone at home. Eddie moved away from the shaft entrance to search for a large stone and eventually came across a big, granite rock. He lifted it with both hands and bringing it to the opening of the shaft he flung it down with all his might. As he listened, he could hear the echo of the rock as it bounded downward, tumbling from one wall of the pit to another. The large granite rock made a terrible confusion of noise and Eddie leaned his head over the hole to hear the stone reach the bottom. But, as Eddie leaned over the hole, he could still hear the rumbling of the tumbling rock and he was surprised to hear that it did not appear to be going away from him. The sound, instead, seemed to be coming louder and quite suddenly the stone shot out of the hole with as much force as it first entered the shaft. The large rock flew at Eddie, catching him totally by surprise, and hit him with great force full in his face. He was flung backward quite a distance where he lay motionless for a moment. Eddie was still very dazed as he raised himself up from the ground and his eyes were a little out of focus. Perhaps it was concussion, but Eddie's head was spinning violently, causing him to lose his balance. He lost his footing on the grass and soon found himself rolling down the side of Nakhnashi Hill. He was now faking head over heels from one crag to another and descending faster with every roll of his body. Eddie finally came to a stop at the bottom of the hill, unconscious and unmoving. There he lay until early next morning when he was discovered by a local farmer. At first sight the farmer was convinced he had come across a dead body, but there was a loud groan when the body was turned over. Even in the shadows of the branches of a whitethorn tree the farmer could see that the person was badly injured. The bridge of Eddie's nose was broken quite seriously, which caused disfigurement to his entire face. There was blood dried on his face and upon the grass on which he had come to a rest after his fall. The blood came from the cuts that covered his head and hands, enhanced by a multitude of purple-black colored bruises. Eddie's eyes were swollen shut, blackened by deep blue and black coloring. Although Eddie was nursed to full recovery, he was changed man. He no longer demonstrated the same bravado as he once had. He began to avoid those places associated with the fairies, especially after the sun began to set. On those few occasions when he found himself alone in lonely places, he would press hard to get home before it became too late. Even as Eddie hurried home he could not be diverted from his path, nor could he allow himself to be delayed by any person he met on the road. Never again did he seek out the good people or ask questions about them. In fact, Eddie became quite introverted and avoided the company of others. Those who knew him had no knowledge of what had changed him, but some insisted that he had been touched by the fairies. 